Welcome to the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast, presented by the Fairfield Inn and Suites, Waco North. This episode, the 2022 Southwest Conference Hall of Fame induction ceremony. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast. This episode is presented by the Fairfield Inn and Suites, Waco North. I'm Jackson Michael, and we're going to review the 2022 Southwest Conference Hall of Fame induction ceremony, which took place at the Texas Sports Hall of Fame. The event was open to the public. You can learn how you can attend events at the Texas Sports Hall of Fame, including the 2023 Texas Sports Hall of Fame induction ceremony at the Texas Sports Hall of Fame website, tshof.org. Again, that's tshof.org. The 2022 Southwest Conference induction was a luncheon held at the Texas Sports Hall of Fame in August of 2022. Inductees sat down for an interview during the luncheon and shared their journeys and memories to an appreciative crowd. In alphabetical order by university, the list of inductees were Ben Cowens from the University of Arkansas, Santana Dotson from Baylor University, Danny Davis from the University of Houston, Kareem Street Thompson from Rice University, Put Choate from Southern Methodist University, Betsy Mitchell from the University of Texas, Greg Hill from Texas A&M University, Carvin Holcomb from Texas Christian University, and Maury Buford from Texas Tech University. This episode will feature highlights from the event, and you'll hear the inductees share stories about their journey to the Southwest Conference Hall of Fame. Baylor defensive tackle Santana Dodson made all Southwest Conference three times. He later enjoyed a successful NFL career with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Green Bay Packers. Dodson's father, Al Dodson, was also in attendance. Al Dodson also played pro football for the Kansas City Chiefs, Miami Dolphins, and Oakland Raiders. At the luncheon, Santana Dotson was asked how he wound up at Baylor. In the course of telling his story, he noted that he went to the same high school as fellow inductee Carvin Holcomb. Well, before we get started, let me thank the other nominees and inductees and congratulate them, as well as thank the committee. Coming out of high school, coming out of Jack Yates Senior High, which also Carvin Holcomb, from TCU, he's coming in today, so that we got two Yates graduates going in, that's a big deal. Um, coming out of Houston Yates, I was widely recruited, you know, nationally recruited, and uh, looked at a lot of schools, and there was a family relationship automatically when Baylor and Coach Taft came and sat down in the living room. And, you know, there are a lot of great schools out there, you know, Texas A&M, and I remember, you know, visiting those schools and things like that and having a great time. But there's something about the relationship and what Coach Taft spoke about when he sat on my couch. You know, he always wanted to pour into us as individuals and scholarship athletes, and he made those commitments and promises to 
me and the family, and he followed up on it. Santana Dotson noted how the assistant coaches at Baylor pushed him to improve. Dotson said such improvements helped him have a longer career in the National Football League. Fred Bird, who was the defense coordinator, Robert James, who was uh, the defensive end, and Fred Bird also was a defensive tackle coach, so I kind of bounced back and forth between those two positions. One of the biggest things I give actually Coach Fred Bird credit for, and I don't know if he knows this, you know, I was defensive player of the year in high school. Then I'm newcomer of the year, my freshman year here. And we go into the spring and Fredberg says, well, yeah, I want you to work on different stance, a left-handed stance and a right-handed stance, being able to do both of them. And I'm like, what for? You know, in my mind, but you dare not say that. But I'm like, what for? What's the reason? So we worked all spring. And, and one of the things that carried me so long, the longevity in the NFL, was my ability to be able to be a right hand and a left hand stance, you know. And for most guys and most coaches, they think, well, he's a newcomer of the year, he's adequate, you know, he's good enough. But that's one of the things that the coaching staff is always doing. They're always challenging us to be better. Houston Cougar Danny Davis is the only quarterback to lead the team to two Cotton Bowls. The first was in 1976, and you can hear his teammate, Alois Blackwell, share stories about that game in episode 31 of the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast, entitled Cotton Bowl Classic Stories. As quarterback for the University of Houston, Danny Davis earned Southwest Conference Player of the Year honors and was named All-American. He held a sparkling 20-5 and record as a starting quarterback for the Cougars. Davis guided the Cougars to the Cotton Bowl in 1976, Houston's first year in the Southwest Conference. The Cougars rocked the football world by defeating formerly unbeaten Maryland in the game. Davis shared a few memories and stories from that season. I think that uh, Southwest Conference was the best conference going at that particular time. We had the University of Texas, A&M, Arkansas, Texas Tech, and Baylor. Going into that title, uh, I guess, Southwest Conference title game and the trip to the Cotton Bowl, the win over Maryland, what do you remember about that game? I know we were up 21 nothing at halftime. <laughs> I know that Aloys Blackwell scored the touchdown and, and we were on the sideline talking about spiking the ball, which was illegal. We talked about spiking the ball and Blackwell did not spike the ball. So Wilson Whitley took the ball from him and spiked it on the sideline. Danny Davis also led Houston to the Southwest Conference title during the 1978 season. The Cougars then played in one of the most famous Cotton Bowl games ever, a heartbreaking one-point loss to Notre Dame, quarterbacked by Joe Montana. Davis said the loss hurt for a long time, although he tried to make light of the pain at the luncheon. I lose a lot of friends when they bring that game up. What's your name? We could beat Notre Dame and, uh, and had them on the ropes and to the end, and they pulled it out at the end. I sat there on the sideline after the game was over, and it was about 18 degrees below zero. And my mother was on the sideline, but she was up in the stand, and she said, Is he ever going to leave? And I said, Hell yeah. 
I'm gonna leave, and, and but that was a, that was an excellent game, an excellent game. And it was an ice storm the night before, and snow in Dallas. Did that worry you guys going in when you yeah, started? Yeah, it did. I asked Coach Yeoman if they could postpone the game to the next day, and he said, "Big fella, you got to play with the elements." And so we went out there that day and uh, did the best because I was supposed to go to Japan to the Japan Bowl the next day and because we were so devastated by the loss I decided not to go and, and my, my friend Chuck Brown asked me he said everybody was looking for you I said man listen I ain't got over this game yet and it took me about two years to get over that game and then <laughs> then uh, when I got called to uh, the Jordan Road Church some of my deacons brought up uh, Joe Montana and Notre Dame, I say, now you've been a deacon how long? <laughs> Rice University track star Kareem Street Thompson won two NCAA long jump titles and owns the record for the longest outdoor jump in Southwest Conference history. He also competed in three Olympics for his homeland, the Cayman Islands. Kareem Street Thompson still holds four Rice University track records and is currently coaching track at the University of Texas at San Antonio. Street Thompson told the story of how he discovered that he wanted to get into track. So at 11 years old, um, I'll never forget watching Carl Lewis at uh, the 84 Olympics winning four gold medals. And I remember the day he won the long jump. I went into my hallway and I ran through the hallway, jumped over my couch at 11 years old. And I'm saying, okay, this is what I want to do. I mean, it's, it's the classic case of idols becoming rivals because seven years later I did compete against Carlos as a freshman. You know, so, but that was, I mean, I was, I was sold and I mean, everything I did outside of academics was based on trying to be the best athlete I could be. Street Thompson also spoke about his long journey from the Cayman Islands to the Rice University track team. Um, it's going to be one of those stories that I tell to my grandkids and my great-grandkids if I live long enough. But uh, for the folks in this room, um, you, you can pretty much understand when there's no internet, no cell phone, no text messaging, no social media, and you're from the Cayman Islands, that island is really, really small. And um, long story short, uh, I don't know if there's a, there's a short version of this, but basically, um, as a high schooler, I jumped 26 feet 5 inches, and I was ranked number 3 in the world as an under 20 athlete. And in my mind, I mean, the world was my oyster, I could go wherever I wanted. However, no one in the U.S. knew about me. So I met with my high school counselor, and she basically told me to give her my top three schools. And my top three schools were University of Houston, Southern Cal, and Stanford. And various reasons, but number one, um, Carl Lewis was my idol. I grew up watching him in the 84 Olympics. That's what got me into track and field in the first place. So the idea of training at the same venue where Carl trained, that was like a dream come true. 
However, um, there was no way to get in touch with the coaches. So my counselor advised me to write three letters to the registrar office of Southern Cal, Houston, and Stanford. Now, I'm sitting there, two weeks go by, three weeks go by, and there's no response, and I'm thinking, okay, so you don't want a 26-5 long jump? Like, come on. So I'm getting more upset by the week, and um, I decided, and I made a decision, unbeknownst to my parents, that I was going to find the smallest school in Division One, and I was going to put that school on the map. So back then, there was a book called The Barons College Encyclopedia. And every year, they would rank all the universities. So I go through the Barons book, and I'm looking specifically for the smallest school in Division One that sponsors track and field. Rice University was that school. So I wrote a letter to the registrar's office of Rice University, and the, the guy who was a liaison between athletics and academics, he had his office in the registrar's office. Someone hands him my letter. He then walks it over to the head coach's office at Rice, who opens this letter, and the number three long jumper in the world wants to be a Rice owl. So I can excuse Coach Straub if he was a little incredulous at that moment. Um, but yeah, that's how it happened. Um, they sent a letter back to me basically saying, can you prove it? I then had to find newspaper clippings, magazine articles, stuffed it in a letter, sent it back to Rice, and the rest is history as they say. When we return, we'll hear more great stories from the inductees of the 2022 class of the Southwest Conference Hall of Fame on the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast, presented by the Fairfield Inn & Suites, Waco North. When you come to Waco, be sure to stay at the Fairfield Inn & Suites, Waco North, located just a short distance from the Texas Sports Hall of Fame. You'll start your day off with a delicious complimentary breakfast, and you'll also enjoy the Fairfield Inn & Suites free Wi-Fi, fitness center, and pool. Next time you bring your team to Waco, make the Fairfield Inn & Suites Waco North your home base on the road. Welcome back to the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast, presented by the Fairfield Inn & Suites, Waco North. The next inductee was linebacker Putt Choate from SMU. He made an All-Southwest Conference in 1977 and 1978. He was the first Mustang to record over 200 tackles in a single season and holds three of the school's top five totals for single-season tackles and for most tackles in a single game. He played high school football at Cahoma High School, at the time a small double-A school outside of Big Spring, Texas. 
Choate spoke about the transition from playing high school football at a school with only 75 students in his graduating class to playing in the Southwest Conference. In high school, small double-A school, you went both ways. As a matter of fact, my, my normal routine was if we kicked off, I'm the guy who kicked off. If we returned the kick, I'm the guy who returned the kick. You know, I played linebacker and I was a running back. And uh, I did not have to return punts though. Okay, I was on the punt return team and I did not punt. Thank goodness we had another guy for that. But you never leave the field and so you have a control of it. And honestly, I, I felt like, you know, I was always probably the strongest guy, one of the biggest guys out there and, and had good speed. So you kind of felt like King Kong out there. And, and then you get in double A, in double A, yeah, out there in double A. And then you get to the, you know, SMU in the Southwest Conference. And I remember going, oh my God, I, how did these big guys get so fast? I mean, everybody is big and they're fast. And I, I mean, my first several weeks were large. Putt Schott shared a story about how he thought SMU recruited him to play running back and how he learned the Mustangs pegged him to be a linebacker instead. Yeah, I was going to be a running back, which is one of the reasons I went to SMU. See, the rest of the schools were honest. <laughs> they, said to, they said you're going to be a linebacker. And I'm like, no, no, no. Y'all see those touchdowns I score every week. I'm that guy. I'm that guy. No, no, no. I'm, I'm running back. And so SMU said, of course you are. And so first day of two-a-days, or the day before, whenever you're getting your stuff, I go to my locker, and there's a number 58 hanging in the locker. Well, anybody knows football, that's not a running back number. So obviously there is a mistake. So I go to the equipment guy and I say, there's been a mistake, blah, 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 you know, 58, touchdown guy here. And, you know, he doesn't know who I am. He, and he doesn't care who I am. He looks and says, what's your name? You know, what? Your name's what, Chuck? You know, and I said, no, it's Puck. And he said, no, you're lying. And he says, got it right here. And I go, well, no. And he said, you need to go talk to your recruiter, your coach, or whatever. I'm just following the, the chart. So I go, and I find the guy. Oh, yeah. I've been meaning to talk to you. You know, he, made it, he said, you know, we had a couple of guys get hurt. We had a couple of guys not make the grades. And so we're a little like, you know, you are an all-state linebacker. So we're, we're going to look. We need you to help out. Choate also spoke about a key to his success, the effort he put into each play. When I was in high school, one of my coaches, my head coach there, told me, you know, the one thing you can always control is your hustle. And 
any coach out there, that's what you guys tell everybody all the time. And that's the truth, folks. That's the one thing that you can control. And that stuck with me. And I was always known as a relentless hustler. I never stopped until the play was over. And so that gave me a lot of opportunities to make plays because, you know, if I could chase somebody down and run after them until the whistle blew, I was going to go. Swimmer Betsy Mitchell from the University of Texas won both a gold and silver medal in the 1984 Olympics and a silver medal in the 1988 Olympics. She also set a world record and was a world champion. On the national stage, she won a total of nine NCAA titles and was a member of three Longhorn National Championship teams. To top it all off, she was named the Southwest Conference's Swimmer of the Decade for the 1980s. Mitchell was offered scholarships from both Texas and North Carolina. She originally picked North Carolina and spent her freshman year there. She felt like she had made a mistake. She told the story of how she got to the Texas Longhorns for the rest of her college career. So I went to Olympic trials, I won, I swam in the Olympics that summer, and I bumped back into the coach from Texas who was on that staff that summer, Richard Quick, rest in peace. And, uh, you know, I said, Richard, I made a big mistake, and he said, yep. <laughs> and uh, anyway, uh, you know, long story short, I said, I, I made a mistake, but I'd really like to come to Texas if you'll, if you'll have me. And he said, sure, you know, of course, great. Well, there were either four or five other Olympians that were coming into Texas that fall. And so a, a sizable block of us uh, went, went to Texas. And, but, but what I've always appreciated about Richard really was really just open arms. You know, he, he was disappointed, obviously, when I chose UNC. But then when I came back around, he was very gracious and graceful. And everyone at Texas uh, opened their arms to me. And, and it just felt like coming home, as you said. So that's how I got to the University of Texas. Betsy Mitchell also discussed what it was like to be a student athlete in the early days of the University of Texas women's athletic program. Well, the first word that comes to my mind is awesome. The second is fantastic. The third is overwhelming. Uh, the fourth was unparalleled. You know, I mean, the, the administration there, from our president right down to obviously the trailblazer, Donna Lopiano, uh, making opportunities happen. You know, really making opportunities happen for young women and, and, and young men. But uh, on, the, on the women's side of our department, it was a special time. You know, uh, one of the things at, at Texas at that time in the swimming program was everyone was not from the state of Texas. And that has almost completely reversed now. And, and so it's really interesting to come into that university, that special university in, in the heart of Texas, and have all these kids from Ohio and Illinois and Michigan and all, all over. We knew that we were part of history. Uh, being there in that department at that time, um, you know, I, I won't, I won't mince any words to all the football men in this in this room. The scholarship athletes at Texas uh, had stadium cleanup duty uh, Sunday mornings after after football games. We saw some pretty nasty stuff in the stands there, but it also helped us forge a real bond and really appreciate what we had 
which was an opportunity, which was a world-class opportunity. And none of us um, thought twice about that, you know, doing our part and, and getting a lot out of it, you know, in a, a first-class education. So it, it was a special time. Uh, I'm still in touch with many, many of, of those women, both in swimming and, and out. You can hear more about Donna Lopiano and the impact she made at both the University of Texas and at the national level in episode 44 of the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast, featuring Donna Lopiano as part of our Nine for Title IX series. Running back Greg Hill from Texas A&M was named All-Southwest Conference three times during his career with the Aggies. This is despite the fact he declared early for the NFL draft, and he was a first-round pick for the Kansas City Chiefs in 1994. Greg Hill grew up in the Dallas area and spoke about the excitement of following Southwest Conference football growing up. When I was growing up, Southwest Conference, wake up on Saturday, and you didn't care who was playing. You wanted to see somebody go do something great, and it seemed like it would always be a Texas school. Yeah, you saw the USC's playing, you know, the Notre Dame's, or you saw the Michigan's, or the Florida's. But the Southwest Conference, somebody was going to do something that was so special and exceptional. And during that time, do y'all remember the Pony Express? Do you remember Eric Dickinson, Craig James? Hill was part of a Texas A&M team that won three straight conference titles. He talked about what it was like to be a member of those teams and playing under head coach R.C. Slocum. We were a really tight-knit unit. We won together. We worked hard together. We got in trouble together. And Coach Slocum just used to treat us like, like his boys. Like he, It would always seem like he only had like four boys that he was talking to in the room. But the room would be like 100, and, 100 men in the room. But it, he always had a way of making it feel like there was just like he was talking to four guys. And the four guys that he was talking to were his four sons. And his four sons he loved very much. And he had a different way of showing and giving to his sons that you just wanted to die for the guy. But you just wanted to do everything you possibly could to make him happy. And he's just a generally happy person. But he just knew how to put the words together, to put the emotions on top of it and wrap it up with a real pretty bow and make you just love what he just gave to you. And you just wanted to give for him. TCU basketball star Carvin Holcomb led the Horned Frogs to back-to-back Southwest Conference titles in 1986 and 1987. He was drafted in the fourth round of the 1987 NBA draft by the Cleveland Cavaliers. Holcomb was TCU's team captain all four years of his career, including his freshman year. He spoke about the responsibility of holding that position. A captain is a leader, and then somebody else that steps up, and uh, he sets the examples for the rest of the team. So I ran hard every single race we did, the weight room. I tried to, to uplift everybody. So I set my standards by what I wanted the rest of my teammates to do. Holcomb discussed what it was like to play basketball in the Southwest Conference and what being inducted into the Southwest Conference Hall of Fame means to him. I'm in the best school, I'm in the best 
teammates and stuff. I mean, the staff that was excellent. Uh, some of the people that I played with are, are sitting there right now. Uh, some of my best friends, best relationships. I mean, it was the best four years of my life. What does it mean to you to be inducted into the Southwest Conference Hall of Fame? Everything. Everything. I mean, the Southwest Conference is, it, it was one of the best conferences in the United States by far. And it should uh, uh, still be here. Robbery-wise, I mean, every single week, we had some crazy robberies and stuff. I mean, everywhere we traveled, it was crazy. Arkansas was the craziest. Vietnam is what they used to call Arkansas. But we used to go at it. I mean, some of those games were, were just dog fights. So uh, uh, the Southwest Coast means everything to me. It was my home. Texas Tech punter Maury Buford led the NCAA in punting as a freshman, the first player to do that in 35 years. He holds the Southwest Conference record for punting and still holds the Texas Tech record for most punts in both a season and a career. Buford punted for three NFL teams, including the 1985 world champion Chicago Bears. At the Southwest Conference Hall of Fame induction luncheon, he told the story of how he learned to punt a football. I actually taught myself. Now, my my oldest brother Lee, who is who is here in the audience today, he was he was a field goal kicker at Mount Pleasant High School, and and Lee would ask me to come out and shag the football for him out in the yard, in which I would. I wasn't strong enough at the time to throw the ball all the way back to him, and I didn't want to take the time to take the heel of my shoe, and, you know, kick a little thing in the dirt and put the ball down and back up and kick it with my toes. So I would just, I just, I would hold it, you know, and just would punt it back to him. And before long, I, I realized that I was able to, you know, punt it and it would spiral and it looked like a pass. And I could certainly kick it a lot further than I could throw it. While he was a student athlete at Mount Pleasant High School, Buford not only punted, but he also played defensive back. He talked about how a broken arm during his senior year in high school might have been a blessing in disguise. I was a good little high school defensive back. Um, my, the very first game my senior season, uh, we were rated number one in the state of Texas in 3A at that time. 4A was the largest classification. We were rated number one. The very first game my senior year, I broke my arm and broke it pretty bad. And um, I was unable to play any defense for the rest of that season. Now, with about two or three games left to go in the season, I was able to punt in the ball games. And, you know, what I thought at that time was the worst thing that could have ever happened to me, breaking my arm and not being able to play defense, um, actually was the best thing because it really, I, I really started concentrating on my punting. And that's when I really perfected it was, was during my senior year. While the rest of the guys were out, you know, going through practice, I was over on the side field, you know, punting. Texas Tech assistant coach Al Tanner recruited Buford to punt at Texas Tech. A sparkling college career at Tech generated interest from NFL scouts. He was drafted by the San Diego Chargers in the 1982 NFL Draft. In 1985, he joined the Chicago Bears and was part of a Super Bowl-winning team that included many former Southwest Conference players. That was the greatest thing that ever could have happened to me. You know, there were a lot of Southwest Conference kids on that football team. 
Mike Singletary was on that team from Baylor. Dennis Gentry was on that team. Myself from Texas Tech, we had a wide receiver, James Mannis, that was from TCU. We had a, a defensive back rookie that year named Reggie Phillips from SMU that in the Super Bowl had a, a pick six. And, um, Dan Hampton from Arkansas. Um, Steve McMichael from the University of Texas. Thomas Sanders was a running back, Greg. Would you probably you know remember? I, I know Coach Slocum does. Thomas Sanders from the Aggies. You know, there were a lot of Southwest Conference kids on that football team. Arkansas running back Ben Cowan starred for the Razorbacks in the mid to late 1970s. He was all Southwest Conference for three consecutive seasons from 1976 through 1978. Ben Cowens led the conference in both rushing yards and yards per carry in 1976. Cowens was unable to attend the luncheon, but finally remembered his Southwest Conference days in a prepared statement that he sent to be read during the induction. He said, I would like to thank all the people that put this event together and for their kind consideration of selecting me for induction into your Hall of Fame. I'm honored to be part of your history and for the privilege to represent the University of Arkansas Razorbacks. I'd like to thank the late Frank Royals for giving me the opportunity to bring my skills to the beautiful city of Fayetteville. And lastly, I would like to thank my parents, Ben and Emma Cowens, most of all for their tireless dedication and encouragement. It was an absolute pleasure to compete against the Texas schools. Every game was special, being that the Razorbacks were the only non-Texas school in the conference. And for all the other inductees, I'd like to say, job well done. Remember, you can attend future events at the Texas Sports Hall of Fame, including the upcoming Texas Sports Hall of Fame annual induction ceremony. Be sure to visit the Texas Sports Hall of Fame official website, tshof.org, and click on Events. Again, that's tshof.org. You can also follow the Texas Sports Hall of Fame on its social media channels, including Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, to keep up to date on all of the great things happening at the Texas Sports Hall of Fame. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast, presented by the Fairfield Inn and Suites, Waco North. Be sure to come to Waco and visit the Texas Sports Hall of Fame. And when you do, book your stay at the Fairfield Inn and Suites, Waco North.